Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Last time on HI101, Kevin Miller and I discussed the life of Thomas Edison and the impact he had on the electrification of North America in the late 19th century. In this episode, we shift focus to Nikola Tesla, an increasingly popular inventor who is often portrayed as Edison's mortal rival. We'll discuss Tesla's life, inventions, and philosophies. Let's begin. Okay, I'm here with Kevin Miller. I'm back. <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit more about Tesla versus Edison, which is turning out to not be so much of a versus thing as it is two kind of... Two ships passing in the night. Yeah, it works. Two guys alive at about the same time. Roughly. Working in similar fields. <laughs> Making one of them very angry. <laughs> Constantly angry. Uh, Edison was an angry guy, but uh, we'll focus less on Edison today. We'll talk a little more about Tesla. Excellent. So, Nikola Tesla was born in 1856. He was ethnically Serbian. Uh, he was born in what was then the Austrian Empire, mm -hmm. but what is now Croatia. Okay. So, basically, what that means is that there are a lot of countries who claim that Tesla is theirs. Sure. <laughs> yep. As that's kind of how these things go sometimes. Uh, Tesla was a really good student. He was pulling, like, top-notch grades. The opposite. The opposite. He was doing really, really well in school. Uh, he was also sickly, though. He, he had a lot of kind of very non-specific... Uh, Maladies. Yeah. He would, he would just fall ill. He would, he would be stricken by something or other for a time, and hmm. then... It would put him behind in his, his work a little bit, and he would come back to school and whatever. And he ended up actually going as far as to start attending university, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of unusual at the time. His, his father was actually a, uh, a minister and wanted Tesla to be a minister as well. Tesla kind of said, no, that's not going to really work for me. <laughs> yeah. And there were enough people in his family that kind of saved up money to send him to university. Around the same time, Tesla developed a gambling habit. Uh-oh. He ended up hmm. gambling away a lot of money. He ended up becoming so involved in gambling that he didn't attend the finals for his oh. last term of university, ended up dropping out, and then sort of and then sort of 
ran away. He didn't want to face his family. He didn't want to tell them that, they had, that, that he had dropped out. Sure. They actually had thought he had drowned in the spring flooding. That's awful. <laughs> so eventually they found him. They realized he was alive. They were very happy. But he never actually finished technical school. Hmm. Which is, which is kind of interesting. He, he worked in a number of places, including a telegraph office. This was, again, a very cutting-edge technology in the uh, the 1860s 1870s right and a lot of the most I mean it would be it would be similar to someone working in sort of high-tech industry Silicon Valley in, in the 80s that's just if, right. if you're a brilliant tech guy that's what you're doing that's what you want to do and you know as we saw with Edison he was interested in the way that new media sort of brought people together Tesla was also very interested in this sort of communications aspect that uh, he was first introduced to through telegraphy, mm-hmm. um, but we'll kind of get to that as we go. He was very, very interested in electricity. He found it absolutely fascinating, and he had heard by by the time he was sort of in his mid-20s, he had heard of Edison, the work that Edison was doing, and it became his goal to work in Edison's company. Huh. And in 1882, at the age of 26... Now, keep in mind, at at 22, Edison already had his first patent for a stock ticker, had started several companies, was well on his way to becoming this captain of industry. Mm -hmm. At 26, Tesla managed to get a job as a low-level electric repairman in the French branch of General Electric in Paris. Okay. But he saw this as a stepping stone. He was like, perfect, got my foot in the door, I'm going to make this happen. Go straight to the top. (laughs) He worked there for a couple of years before he sort of managed to finagle a, a, a recommendation mm-hmm. and move to New York, where the actual branches of General Electric, where Edison was, mm-hmm. were located. And in 1884, new, moved to New York to work there. Again, as a very low-level repairman. Uh, very skilled repairman. Now, if you believe the accounts, he was, he was unusually gifted at fixing, especially generators. Mm-hmm. But a repairman nonetheless. Now, there is definitely an account on record of Edison and Tesla kind of meeting and Edison commenting on what a good repairman he was, which Tesla wore as a badge of pride. He was very, very proud of that. Now, here's something, again, we're going to talk about a bit of a problem with history in general as it relates to this. and, and, And I find it very, very interesting. You'll hear a lot of stories about an event in Tesla's life where he was offered $50,000 to improve 24 different devices uh, for Edison. Okay. His, so, you know, things like dynamos, generators, electric motors, all of these. There were 24 different ones, and he was told that if he could, if he could bring all 24 of these up to a certain standard to perfect them, mm-hmm. he would be given $50,000, which is a huge sum of yeah, money definitely. for an individual at that point in time yeah he saw this as a huge opportunity for himself and went absolutely i'm going to get to work on it mm-hmm. and he did it oh he went through he fixed on his own time he fixed all 24 of these devices and went back and was told oh i'm i'm not paying you all that money that's a lot of money are you crazy <laughs> is that you play me and instead was offered a raise from $18 to $28 a week. Yeah. It's pretty... Yeah. I mean, 
you know, it's almost a 50% raise. Yep, over 5,000 hours. That's his money. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. Now, if you go, if you go to any source about Tesla, you'll hear this story about Edison offering him all this money to fix all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, I'll use Wikipedia just to do some quick fact checking on dates and things like that. Sure. Wikipedia will tell you Edison offered him this money. If you look at Wikipedia's source, it will source one of the most common Tesla biographies, Tesla Man Out of Time, okay. which is it, it's, it's a very, very popular book. Mm-hmm who says that Edison offered him all this money. Now, Man Out of Time sources uh, this book here, which mm-hmm. is Tesla's autobiography. Tesla okay. wrote this himself. I want to read you a quick passage here. It says, Edison said to me, I have had many hardworking assistants, but you take the cake. During this period, I designed 24 different types of standard machines with short cores and of uniform pattern, which replaced the old ones. The manager had promised me $50,000 on the completion of this task, but it turned out to be a practical joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, what's interesting about this is that he mentions Edison at first, mm-hmm. and then several sentences later mentions the manager. The manager, yeah. He wasn't working directly for Edison. Mm-hmm. He worked for a manager of General Electric. Now, the book doesn't specify whether it was Edison that said that yeah. about the money mm-hmm. or his own manager. It doesn't say who said anything about the money. And frankly, it's an autobiography that was written decades later. Yeah. When he was probably very bitter over the, uh, over the event as it was. This is another good sort of moment in this topic that, that sort of sheds light on a, uh, an aspect of history that you have to be careful of, namely the bias of your sources, even when they're primary sources. Mm-hmm. We have no evidence that Edison ever offered him any money whatsoever. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. It's quite possible Edison did. Yeah, but we don't know. But we don't know for sure. And you have to be really careful when it comes to stuff, especially when it's that ambiguous, to make definite claims about what happened or what didn't happen. Right. So I I just kind of wanted to bring that to light because, as I said, I've seen that story repeated as Edison offering them this money so many times. And I think it plays back to... The fact that people want to sort of fabricate a rivalry between the two of them mm-hmm. because it's easiest to personify yeah. this, this conflict between two people and hey here's a really good opportunity to do so whatever the circumstances of this event tesla took it hard enough that he decided that he didn't want the race he was he was angry enough that he quit the company yeah and that's the last that edison or that tesla ever worked for edison two-year period and i mean Worked for Edison is kind of a stretch even because, honestly, most of that time was spent in France working for a branch of General Electric. Right, yeah. He was doing enough work at this point in time that he managed to get funding from Western Union, uh, the telegraph company. Mm -hmm. He got funding from them basically to work on arc lighting. Now, arc lighting is... Arc lighting is just fluorescent lights. Fluorescent lights have been around forever. Yep. The idea is that if you pass current, I mean, if you if you have two con, uh, conductive materials close enough together, electricity will jump from one to the other. Mm-hmm. If you have this happen through certain gases, the gases will fluoresce. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll light right up. And this is something that we've known since the 1850s. Right. It's a very old technology. Yep. They asked him to work on on that for them. They wanted to see if it was more viable than... Edison's incandescent lamps. Mm-hmm. Tesla took all the money, created Tesla Electric, and decided to work on his 
new AC motor ideas. Mm-hmm. We know he succeeded there. <laughs> he did succeed there, but he wasn't working on the arc, light, arc lighting that he was supposed to be working nope. on. <laughs> this is going to be a common theme with Tesla. He will ask people for money, they will give it to him to work on a specific project, yeah. and then he just goes and does whatever he wants to do with it. Tesla. Tesla was a brilliant man. Yeah, but he needs a boss. <laughs> he kind of needs a boss, but he also wasn't that good with working with bosses either. Yeah, also true, yeah. Tesla was, yeah, he, he, he was very, very focused. He had a very good idea of what was right and what was wrong. He knew what the right thing to do was, and he just did it. Yeah. Regardless of any other obstacles. So he spent he spent this time perfecting his idea for an AC motor. Uh, there had been alternating current motors before Tesla's. Mm-hmm. The things that made Tesla's motor special were something that's called a triphase motor, which basically means that the motor can start up mm-hmm. without you having to physically start it. Okay. And it was it doesn't it didn't have a, a commutator, which is there was nothing physically touching the rotating shaft of the motor. Okay. So that means that there's no parts to wear out. And that means that you don't have to have any sort of starter on the motor. So right. as soon as you apply power to that motor, it starts it right goes, up. It goes, yep. Which was a, a big thing at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a system that's still in place at this point in time. So the year after that, 1888, that's when Tesla was hired on contract to George Westinghouse to help him set up his whole alternating current system and he had a lot of say on sort of the fundamentals of ac that we are still using today right. things like the fact that it alternates at 60 hertz so that's the number of oscillations per second mm-hmm. tesla set that up because it worked best with his motor and that's the reason we still use it today okay um, all of the generators were set up on tesla's system all of this stuff right but he kind of bowed out really early in that conflict and while his technology was used he was already off working on on other things before it was even really decided that AC was going to be the best system. Yep. Well, so, he had determined that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> basically. Mm. Tesla had this way of designing that was very different from Edison's. Edison, as we discussed uh, earlier, was very... He, he focused a lot on trying things out. Mm-hmm. Tesla had a photographic memory. Okay. He was very good at math. And he would essentially sit there and think about a thing and visualize it in his mind and alter the, the ideas in his mind. He would keep no notes whatsoever. He and would make no... He would build it whole. He <laughs> would decide, okay, this is good. He would build it, and that's the way it would be forever. <laughs> Interesting. And to his credit, he did many things this way very successfully. I mean, this triphase AC motor that we're talking about, he saw it, it came to him in a vision. He was walking <laughs> through the park. He was struck as if blinded by heavenly light. Wow. And saw this design for an AC motor floating before him. And he took it and he built it and it worked. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of weird stuff about him that kind of goes along similar lines. Now, again, these are things that are being taken from what he's said. Yeah. It could very well be. I mean, he also claimed to only sleep two hours every night. Hmm. Like, it, you know, the, it's, it's, it's always hard with a guy as unusual as Tesla to know what to take seriously and what's hyperbole because he did some incredible stuff. Some of the things that he said were very, very true. Mm-hmm. So it can be hard to kind of sort out what makes him an incredible... <laughs> yeah, what's the myth? What's the reality? Yeah, what, what makes him an incredible human being and what's just complete baloney? Yeah. 
it, it can be hard to tell. It's building up a legend a little bit. <laughs> exactly. I'm a werewolf. <laughs> By 1891, Tesla was already working on wireless power transmission. Yay. <laughs> That's a thing that, I mean, today is only really starting to enter the mainstream now. Science fiction. People have been talking about it for a long time, but Tesla was working on it in the 1890s. To put this in context, 1891, you're just, like, you, we haven't even had the Chicago World Fair yet. Mm-hmm. So that means at the Chicago World Fair, Tesla was demonstrating wireless power transmission. Mm-hmm. He also, in 1891, patented the Tesla coil. The Tesla coil. The Tesla coil is essentially just a, a transformer. Mm-hmm. And it converts to the extreme, like, very, very, very high voltage and very, very, very low current. Okay? okay. Yep. It's essentially what a Tesla coil does. That, that's it. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of myth kind of built up around the Tesla coil. Sure. Uh Essentially, it's a type of transformer. It has a number of very interesting properties because of that. I mean, you get the arcing. Basically, because it's such low, or so, because it's such high voltage, you get visible arcs that will come off of it if right. you've got anything conductive that comes close to it. Mm-hmm. And remember we talked briefly about when, when you step current up or down and alternating current it's because of the magnetic field right because it's such high voltage the magnetic field extends out really far Mm -hmm. and because the magnetic field extends out so far you can essentially make a device itself the receiving end of stepped current uh yeah so really he's just kind of he's pushing the boundaries of of where the electric current flows that's that's what's going on there that's why you get visible arcing kind of out into nowhere yeah that's why when you touch it your hair stands on end because it's a magnetic current exactly you know it's 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 an amazing piece of technology but it's simple in theory yeah i feel like most people kind of know that there's a coil and they know that it does some crazy things yeah they mystify it exactly but really it's just it's just a transformer Mm. it's a very cool transformer but it is a transformer so he spent a lot of time working on these Tesla coils. He had a lot of big ideas about what they could do. He felt that if they were transmitting electromagnetic radiation, it could be done on any number of wave- wavelengths. And he was right. So he was interested in things like radio waves. Mm-hmm. He was interested in x-rays. He was interested in all sorts of things. And, he, and the Tesla coil was sort of his basis for doing all of these things. So while people okay. were working with uh, all sorts of strange uh, methods of of producing all of these different waves. Yeah. He was basically looking at Tesla coils and being like, this can do all of them right Done. here. I got it. I got it figured out. Made to order. In 1892, he sold his company, Tesla electric to, to general electric. Uh, biggest reason he did this was because Western union said, Hey, so where are our arc lights? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and he went, uh, don't, I haven't done anything with that. Again. He basically went, that's boring. Yeah, and tugged nervously at his collar. And they said, okay, we're, we're done, man. Yeah. And so basically he took anything that he could yeah. and sold it to, to Edison, or to General Electric, I should say. Edison wasn't super on board with the switch to AC, but yeah. so it goes. He took all of this money and stored, sort of started working on his own projects throughout the 1890s. So mid-1890s, he started working on x-rays, uh, also interested in using it for radioscopy. So 
taking pictures of bones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he but he can he configured Tesla coils to emit X rays, right? Hmm. In 1898, <laughs> this is now Tesla was a brilliant man. He had incredible ideas. He was really bad at selling them. Ah. He was not a showman. He was not a businessman. In 1898, he did something amazing. Okay. He built a radio-controlled motorboat. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> what? You go, you go, why, why do I care? Yeah. Who, that's, that's a toy for children. Yeah. Well, that's how I think of it now. First of all, he had to invent a radio transmitter. Yep. He had to invent a radio receiver. Yep. He had to... Invent boats. <laughs> Believe it or not, those were already around. Oh my god. (laughs) He had to invent a system by which those radio waves could be... Transmitted to mechanical functions. Exactly. Exactly. So it's one thing for it to get a bunch of beeps and bloops, but to change that into sort of steering the rudder Mm -hmm. to increasing or decreasing the power on the electric motor, by the way, it it was an electric motor that was tied into a battery. Right. And, and to sort of be operating something standing beside the water. And it's all on water. <laughs> and it's all on water. It's, it's a remarkable piece of technology, especially for the time. Was it like a toy for kids or was it like, you know, a full-size motorboat that like an adult could stand on? It was pretty small. It was okay. too small for anyone to stand on. Okay. <laughs> now, everyone looked at this and went, okay, so this is a toy for kids. <laughs> Tesla looked at it and went, you guys are idiots. <laughs> This is a this is a torpedo. Why don't we put a warhead on this thing yep. and use it to drive it into enemy boats? And they went, eh, it's a toy for kids though. <laughs> Mostly. And you just Tesla. don't get it, Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> and Tesla was really frustrated by this, but he was also really bad at communicating things like this. Yeah. So I mean, he he had these ideas that that were Revolutionary, but he presented it as such a in such a mundane way mm-hmm. that people didn't really really realize what they were seeing. Oh, okay. I mean, you're in a world where putting a light bulb in your ceiling has just changed everything, right? Yeah. And now here's a guy with a remote controlled motorboat, mm-hmm. and you're going, "Oh, that's pretty cool too," and you don't really realize the orders of magnitude of progress that is ahead of something like putting a light bulb in a ceiling. Yeah, it's. It's huge. It's absolutely massive, and no one really recognized it. And Tesla went, okay, well, I guess no one's getting into this. I'll keep playing with radio waves in my labs. and never show anyone anything again. <laughs> basically. He was really interested in... He called this tele-automation. Okay. He was really inter- interested in this idea of tele-automatons, which is robots, basically. He had this idea that you could make something... I mean, he was talking about artificial intelligence in the early 20th century in a way wow. that no one else was really talking about it. But essentially, he was following a train of logic from this motorboat saying, mm. okay, well, if you set up... You know, if I can make a mechanical bow, I can make a mechanical man. Essentially. And why can't you make it eventually so complex that you can't tell the difference between the mechanical man and the real man? Mm-hmm. Heady stuff. Yes. A reason that people today look at Tesla and go, this man is a genius. Yep. Making androids. Now... Actual transformers. He did make some patents on the radio wave thing with the mechanical boats. Mm -hmm. 
This is in 1898. I mean, he's really not... Uh, he he doesn't patent the uh, the radio waves the, the the method for sending and receiving radio waves until 1900. Oh. Now he claims he claims that he's been working on this for years, but like that's that's the other thing about Tesla is he he will straight up forget to patent things, <laughs> and then when someone else comes along and does it too, he'll be like, oh, I did that first, but. It's been sitting on a piece of paper on his very messy desk in his yeah, lab. Or not, or it's just been entirely in his head. Or it's been, yeah, exactly. Entirely in his head. There were, number, there were a number of inventions where he had absolutely no proof whatsoever that he came up with it first. Right. And he very well may have, but he would just forget to patent stuff. Right? Now, in 1901, a man named Marconi started messing around with radio waves too. To some success. To very good success, and the, his his famous transmission in 1901 from uh, Beacon Hill. People asked Tesla about it. You know, what do you think of this? And basically, he said, ah, "Let him keep doing what he's doing. He's using 17 of my patents, anyways." So yeah. Basically, the truth will out, kind of thing. Yeah. But he wasn't that concerned about defending his patents either, which right. is a really key thing about uh, about Tesla. If he got around to patenting it. He didn't really care that much about the patents. Yeah, or forgot that he had patented it. <laughs> he was much more concerned on the actual progress, on the actual science, on the actual tech, mm-hmm. to worry about things like that. Just he was not a good businessman. Now, in 1899, after he'd been messing around with his motorboats and stuff, hey. he moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Okay. And he set up a lab there. Now this is way up in the mountains, kind of thing. It's very, it's very uh, remote. And he knew someone who ran the AC generator nearby, and he set up the lab there because basically this guy would allow him to use all the power he wanted for free mm-hmm. after dark, like after everyone, like after uh, in, I forget what time at night it was. But basically, after everyone had gone to bed, yep. he had the as much the power. as much output as that as that uh, generator could give him, he could use all of it. Huh. This is where he did the majority of his um, his work in wireless energy transmission. This is where he really tweaked the uh, the Tesla coils. And you'll see, uh, you, you know, you see the pictures of him sitting in a chair with a 12-foot tall Tesla coil just radiating out yeah. uh, these lightning bolts. And that's the uh, scene from The Prestige as well where he's, you, know, see, you see the city in the background go completely dark and then everything around him lights up suddenly. That's the one. That's, I mean, it's, it's an important point in Tesla's life, but the, the scenes that you saw in The Prestige, that's the time period that we're talking about is this right. Colorado Springs uh, lab. Mm-hmm. Again, he's working uh, off of wealthy backers' money who want him to sort of produce very specific things and he's kind of ignoring their very specific things that he doing that they what want. he wants to do yep and inventing no all sorts of incredible things he was he was doing things he was doing things with uh, wireless energy transmission that were completely ahead of their time but the townspeople didn't much like it because they would have light bulbs that weren't plugged into things lighting up at odd times in the day. <laughs> they would be walking down the street and be shocked by the ground. <laughs> they were, you know... Yeah, your entire city is haunted. Well, I mean, they knew exactly what was causing it. <laughs> oh, that goof. That crazy man up in the mountains. Yeah, he basically was a wizard. <laughs> he was very much a wizard. But they, they didn't like it all that much. Um, 
And not that much later, in fact, a year later in 1900, he got an offer to build a new lab in Long Island. And to the delight of the townspeople, he mm-hmm. decided to move to Long Island. Pack up and leave. Where he was about to begin the biggest progress or biggest project of his life, Wardenclyffe Tower. Now, Wardenclyffe Tower was meant to be a radio transmission station. Okay. It was meant to compete with the things that Marconi was doing at this point in time. And Edison was all for this wireless tra- uh, this this radio transmission. But he was also interested in turning Wardenclyffe Tower into the largest source Edison. I'm sorry, Tesla. <laughs> Tesla was interested in turning this into the largest source of power for the Eastern Seaboard. Okay. Entirely wirelessly. Oh, that's interesting. And we'll take a quick break, and we'll check back in with him at the construction of Wardenclyffe Tower just after this. Cool. We're back with HI101, here with Kevin Miller. Hello. And we, we just finished off with Tesla heading to Long Island to begin tri- uh, construction of his lab called Wardenclyffe Tower. So this facility was going to basically be uh, an entire lab on the on the the bottom floor, mm-hmm. and then an enormous Tesla coil just kind of up into the air, several oh, stories high. Okay, <laughs> it's it's actually incredible. You should uh, take a look at the pictures. Sometime. Yeah, I've never heard of this. It sounds like something like super villainy, like you might find at the towards the end of a. <laughs> of a movie where we didn't realize he was working on something this big the whole time. And it's funny you should mention that because Tesla didn't really mention the whole wireless power transmission thing to everybody. Oh, okay. Cool. He just decided to design this thing so that it would fit the specifications of the people who wanted a radio tower. But no one else knew that it was also... <laughs> yeah, made sure it, w- it had the capability to transmit power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, man. Man, if Tesla if Tesla had gone like super evil, I mean, this isn't even the worst thing. We'll get to we'll get to stuff later. Oh boy, that will worry you even more. Yay! I promise. Are elephants involved? No, no elephants. Okay. All right. Well, Topsy hasn't even died at this point. Oh man, He's still alive. Still kicking. We're talking nineteen hundred. Literally kicking. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. They start working on Wardenclyffe Tower, and they run into funding problems really quickly. Basically, the project starts taking a lot more money than was initially expected. Backers keep pulling out because they're not getting the results that they're hoping for. Mm -hmm. Tesla keeps getting sidetracked and working on other pet projects. He really wasn't... People were expecting to work with Edison, and instead they were getting Tesla, uh, and that's a very different thing to work with. Yep. Because a guy like Edison gives you results. They yep. focus up, they mm-hmm. do what they're told, and they come in at, as close to budget as they possibly can, because that's how you make money. Mm-hmm. You be re- reliable, and you make good on your promises. Mm-hmm. Tesla was not good at either of these things. Nope. <laughs> Tesla was, and, and I mean, I. I'm, I'm kind of realizing we haven't talked much about his character that much. He he was completely a loner. Like, he very much disliked I company. Yep. Uh, entirely celibate for his entire life. He had trouble with social interactions to 
a surprising degree he would do them but did not enjoy them mm. so he had certain tendencies which could be considered uh, obsessive compulsive i mean it's always tempting to diagnose yeah, historical that's, figures that's that way right. <laughs> however i mean i don't think you would be completely out of line to say that it sounds like he has some uh autism like tendencies uh he was also you know he also had a lot of the other things that go along with it like uh unusual single-mindedness mm-hmm. uh, an ability to focus an ability to um, work at higher levels on certain technical uh projects but he also had several obsessive uh, tendencies. Uh, for example, he couldn't eat a meal until he had calculated its volume in cubic centimeters. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, like it's just small things like that. Centimeters. Well, yeah, you got to work with SI units, man. Of course. He's <laughs> <laughs> European. What do you take him for? No, of course. And he had very odd sleep habits. I mean, he would work late into the night. He would sleep a couple hours, get up late morning kind of thing. Like, he did not like working a regular 9 to 5 mm-hmm. schedule. And he tended to live in hotels all the time. He didn't, oh, have, he didn't have a permanent residence? He didn't really have a permanent residence. Just stay in the lab? Yeah, in the lab or in the hotel. And while he took social visitors, I mean, they, yeah, it really wasn't his thing. The closest thing he had to a, a, a friend was Mark Twain. Oh, yeah? Which is kind of interesting. Interesting. Yeah, the two of them got along quite well. Actually, I could see that. Yeah. Huh. Man, that's like a a steampunk crime fighting team. Absolutely. Except for their inability to actually team up. Yeah. Now, I did forget to mention one thing that I wanted to talk about from 1899 while he was still in Colorado Springs. He detected radio transmissions. Oh? From outer space. Yay. They came from Mars. Ooh. (laughs) Or at least that's what Tesla believed. Ooh. Oh no. <laughs> now, no one's quite sure what exactly it was that he picked up. This was 1899, so Marconi was working on radio transmission experiments. It could have been something that he was sending. Mm. It could have been, you know, background radiation. It could be that he misunderstood something that went wrong with the technology. It could be that he made the whole thing up. It's really a, it's really difficult to say. Yeah. But one thing that this really spawned in Tesla was this idea that radio could be used to communicate with people beyond Earth. Beyond Earth, and kind of, at least philosophically, sort of started the uh, the radio telescope, uh, telescope idea initiative. for initiative. Yeah. For, for astronomy. I mean, he was, you know, thereafter was using radio to see if there was anything out there. It was never really successful after that. Oh, no. But, and to this day. <laughs> and to this day. But, but yeah, it was something he was, he was also working on at this point in time. So back to Wardenclyffe Tower. The construction of Wardenclyffe Tower never was never completed. There was always these these problems in funding. As I said, Tesla kept getting distracted with other projects. Mm. Here's the one that worries me the most. Uh-oh. In 1912, Tesla got really interested in resonant frequencies. Oh, boy. Now, resonance was a key factor in his wireless power transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to transmit power to a device, the Tesla coil does depend on resonance for, for power transmission. Right. Which... 
basically everything has a frequency at which it naturally vibrates best. Right. Yep. Think opera singer shattering a glass type thing. Exactly. Yep. Tesla became obsessed with calculating the resonant frequency of everything. Everything. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> and he built a steam powered. <laughs> have you? I have. <laughs> No, there have been times when, uh, like, I'm sitting in a bathroom stall or something like that, and I'm humming, and I can, you know, get to the point where I can feel the walls vibrating. <laughs> well, Tesla built... <laughs> Not quite the same level, but... <laughs> Tesla, uh, along the same lines, though, built a steam-powered oscillator. Awesome. <laughs> and began work on trying to find the resonant frequency of whole city blocks. Oh, no. There's good evidence that he induced several earthquakes, earthquakes. in Long Island at this point in time. Oh. There's one... Super villain. There's one point in time where there was a building next door that was shaking so badly that they were worried that it was going to come down, and Tesla couldn't get the oscillator to turn off properly and had to take a sledgehammer to it to keep the building oh. from collapsing. Wow. How big was this thing? The oscillator? Yeah. I'm not even sure. I'm picturing it, something like the size of like a like a dumpster. Yeah, I, I would imagine that's probably fairly accurate. Hmm. Um, or like you know, it's like the size of a toaster, and it's just like <laughs> causing all this massive construction. Tesla then decided to calculate the resonant frequency of the Earth, having not learned anything, or having perhaps learned too much. Tesla once said in a newspaper article that he had found the resonant frequency of the earth and given a couple of weeks believed that he could tear it in half. <laughs> oh, well, if anyone could. What? Come <laughs> on, don't say that. <laughs> Which, let's face it, is super good for his public perception, right? Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> you don't say that to a newspaper. But I mean... That's almost a threat. <laughs> it's such a good example of Tesla and the way he... The way he dealt with people. I mean, he was so he was so focused on how amazing it was that the, the guy managed to calculate the freq- resonant frequency of the Earth. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> he was just so excited by this by this idea mm. and by the ramifications of this idea that the, so- the, the social implications weren't really top of mind. No, he didn't really care that he was coming off vaguely threatening. <laughs> Not at all. Not in the least. And the interesting thing is, he was right about the resonant frequency of the Earth. He got it yeah. close close enough to right. Got it in one. Close enough to right that, I mean, technically with enough resonant, like with enough oscillators, maybe he could. Could cause some serious damage. Yeah. <sighs> and his numbers weren't verified for, for decades later. Well, that's probably for the best. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they were right, so if you had chosen to use them... <laughs> It wouldn't have helped anything. Yeah, it kind of bothers me even now knowing that that information exists. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I suppose. I, I, I mean, the other thing with Tesla is that the line between practical technology and theoretical applications mm-hmm. was basically non-existent. Yep. So what it would take to build oscillators in order to rip yeah, the, the earth apart the earth. is really, really difficult. Yeah, a little... Really, really, really difficult. And I doubt he could have actually done it. Well, that's... <laughs> but he, he... The way he saw scaling of this stuff mm-hmm. 
to, to his mind, he had basically already yeah. proved that it was doable. In his mind, it was already in half. <laughs> it, essentially, yeah. And to his mind, I'm not sure it would have taken much more than his oscillator to do it. Because mm-hmm. he had a pretty good oscillator. <laughs> yeah. So this is the kind of thing that he's working on in the early 1900s. <laughs> So that's keeping him from making Wardenclyffe Tower into a functioning radio tower. <laughs> yeah, coming off as like an international terrorist. <laughs> yeah. Did he uh, invent the oscillator, or did he? Is this something that he appropriated for the task? He appropriated it. the thing. The thing that was, I, I mean, an oscillator is just a, an off-balance spinning shaft. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that had been around for ages. What he, what he perfected was tuning the speed of the oscillation to a specific frequency okay he got very good at finding a frequency and keeping it at exactly right that from speed. all of his his research into waves and so forth yeah he was very interested in waves waves were kind of his thing yeah. yeah tesla's understanding of the way physics work was really interesting because he had very contrary ideas in terms of what he was up to speed on and what he was very behind on. Okay. So, I mean, he's working... On, like, on one hand, he's working on wireless transmission of, of electricity. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he believes that... He, he, he very much believed that there was some sort of ether kind of 19th century style that all of oh. these waves were being transmitted through. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. He didn't believe that the atom could be divided at all. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, Tesla lived into the, into the 1940s. Uh, seeing what nuclear physicists were doing, right. he still didn't really believe that the atom was divisible. So, on one hand, it kind of makes Tesla sound a little bit antiquated in certain ways. On the other hand, it's amazing that he managed to do as many things as he did working with such an outdated model of the universe. Yeah, that's fair. So, well, it sounds like most of what he was doing was entirely practical. He didn't really think too much into the why. That's very true. That's very, very, very true. So, Wardenclyffe Tower was basically like a 17-year-long disaster. Ooh, it was a very, very, very years. slow, slow death. In 1917, he ran out of funding. No one else was willing to dump any more money into this project. It had never really gotten up and running. Mm-hmm. And he basically had to sell off the tower unfinished. And it was demolished for two reasons. Number one, when you look at the building, it's a very distinctive building. 1917, we're talking about World War I. Mm-hmm. There were worries that German battleships would be able to use that tower's distinctive profile as sort of a landmark, huh. be able to tell where they were on Long Island. That was a, that, I mean, that's a major concern in World War I is, is enemy navies being able to tell where you are. I guess that's true, yeah. The other thing was, it was on really good land. Oh. And people wanted to do other things with the land. <laughs> that's fair. So it's a more pressing concern, I feel. Yeah, I mean the the two definitely complemented each other. <laughs> and at this point in time, he I mean he still had a small laboratory in New York, but he moved almost entirely into theoretical work. So he was perfecting things with radio waves, but he was interested more in things like his teleautomatics. Mm-hmm. So improving sort of what you would call robotics now. Yeah. Did you get any progress on that or no? Not particularly. Like, not particularly. I mean, but he also got a lot more philosophical with his work at this point. So okay. he's talking about things like what teleautomatics would mean for humanity. Kind oh, okay. of. I mean, he was talking about like some stuff that could be interpreted now as post-scarcity theory. Yeah. 
so what happens when humans don't have to work anymore because they've got robots to do it for them? Yeah. He, he was thinking a little bit about that. He also started working in the mid-1930s. He started working on an idea that he called his peace ray. Oh, his peace ray. Now, this is the, this is the famous uh, Tesla death ray that I'm sure you've heard all about. Oh, similar to a peace ray in some ways. <laughs> yes, I've heard of the death ray. That's about all I know, though. So the way that Tesla described it was basically sending a stream of charged electrons, uh, accelerating them using electromagnetism, and using them in such concentrated amounts that it was destructive. The idea being that he could... I mean, Tesla claimed that he could take out an airplane at 200 miles away. 200 miles that's a long way. That's a lot of miles. That's a lot of miles. The problem with the Peace Ray is that it probably didn't exist. Its name. Well, so, yeah, let's talk about the name for a second. He called it that because another theory that Tesla was a little ahead of his time on was the idea of mutually assured destruction. Mm-hmm. Tesla believed that if he could develop this Peace Ray... Oh, it'd be a deter- it'd be a deterrent. <laughs> yes, it would be a complete deterrent. That if anybody or if everyone had these peace rays, why would you ever launch any sort of invasion when your entire invasion force could be shot down? Mm-hmm. He firmly believed that armament was the best solution Speak for soft world and peace. Carry a big stick. Yeah, yeah, that's the way you get world peace is through uh, <laughs> such effective armament armament that warfare becomes completely impracticable. Yep. That's one of those things that a lot of people will disagree with, but also many people will look at and see some sense in. Yeah. It's not... Like, his, his logic follows out. However, I mean, it's also from a very game theory sort of perspective, <laughs> where you're talking about people acting in the most rational way possible. Yeah. It sort of precludes... Like, the, the, the thing that he kind of ignores is people picking up their peace rays and carrying it over to where other people are. Yeah. He, he envisions it being used in a purely defensive capacity, which isn't really that realistic. No, which is generally why, not why people have weapons. So he was very idealistic on that front, but I mean, again, this is a good example of him not really... It almost seemed like he didn't quite understand people... <laughs> He understood electricity quite well. It sounds more and more like that, yeah. But people was a little beyond him. In nineteen thirty four he was essentially destitute. He was he had no money left, no one was willing to back him anymore. Yeah. The Westinghouse company decided that they were going to start paying for his living expenses and giving give him a small allowance. That's nice. Now, there are a number of like we're not entirely sure why they did this. There's a number of good reasons. There's a lot of theories about why. Yeah. First off would be that they didn't... It, it's kind of bad for Westinghouse's image to have their kind of star inventor living in poverty. Yeah. They didn't want that image. Uh, another thing is that during the war, with the war of occurrence, Tesla did Westinghouse a very personal favor, which was that Tesla was... Tesla had agreed to this, this patent licensing right. agreement with Westinghouse, at a very favorable rate to Tesla. He was going to get like a lot of money per 
we could call it kilowatt hour. That's not exactly how it's being measured. Sure. It's, it, it was it was some sort of horsepower or something really? antiquated huh. antiquated measure of power production. He was getting a certain he was getting a certain rate. Let's call it per kilowatt hour, which was really really high. Mm. Westinghouse had miscalculated how oh. how much power was going to be produced, and Westinghouse went to Tesla and basically said, "Listen, if we leave it at that rate." I'm going to go broke. Right, yeah. And Tesla said, okay, okay cool. Yeah. Let's, let's, you Think know what? So. Don't worry about it. He took a lump sum payment from, from Westinghouse mm-hmm. that allowed him to continue using that technology but not have to pay Tesla any licensing fees anymore. Oh, okay. Tesla could have been like a billionaire. Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, he would have been risking Westinghouse going out of business. So he essentially saved Westinghouse's company single-handed by letting him out of this contract at personal monetary loss. Right. Huh. So there's also some speculation that Westinghouse's company did this to, to repay him. back, yep. So he basically spent the rest of his life kind of living in hotels throughout New York, you know, visiting or taking, taking guests when he was okay with it. He would spend a lot of time going for long walks he loved feeding pigeons. I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah, he had one very special pigeon. <laughs> I've heard of that. Who he claims he loved more than any person. Aww. And he, yeah, it, there's some there's some weird stuff with Tesla and pigeons out there. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's all right. <laughs> I mean, you know, far be it for me to to criticize anyone from from loving animals, but he he really had a thing for pigeons, man. Okay. It was weird. So cool. But yeah, the last years of his life, I mean, he would give interviews to papers. He would promise technologies such as the Peace Ray, or he would say, I am working on a brand new form of communication across long distances. Mm -hmm. But he never really produced any of these things. He would talk this big game, but they would never really come out. Right. And it got to a point where... You know, I mean, we talked about this with Edison. You sort of hit a point where all your good ideas are kind of behind you, done. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean to imply that you know, you know, anyone over thirty is the enemy <laughs> and all that stuff. Like, it's not like that at all. God, I hope not. But it's not like that at all. But there's this sort of, there's this sort of fresh perspective that seems to come historically with younger inventors that seems to sort of overtake people who've, who have been doing it for a while, just because. They sort they start sort of sticking with what works for them, mm-hmm. and Tesla was really no exception in terms of output. So he would improve on things, but he also had that viewpoint where once he made something, it was good. Yeah, it was done forever. Don't he didn't worry really, about it. yeah, he didn't need to inter- iterate on it anymore. And you get this weird time period in the '30s where he would he would say that he was working on these things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of impossible to tell whether or not he was actually working on these things or whether he was just saying that to remain relevant. But certainly nothing resulted. Nothing resulted. There were no notes because he kept all of this stuff in his head. Mm. There were no actual technologies coming out because really he had no money to make them happen. And I mean, who's to say what things would look like if Tesla had more funding than, than he did at the end of his life? I don't like playing historical what if particularly well, sure. because the variables are way too great for that. But yep. <laughs> but the, the the main point of this is that at the end of his life, Tesla was not making anything really new. 
And that's kind of how it goes. Well. Now, he died in 1943. And this is probably the last very, very interesting thing about Tesla. But one that people really grasp onto as being one. Like, when they look at Tesla as being sort of ahead of his time and... Mm-hmm. and even his ideas being suppressed, you'll hear people talking about that. This is the event that they point to. When he died in 1943, the Office of Alien Properties seized his hotel room. Okay. The Office of Alien Properties was essentially an organization. I mean, it sounds... It sounds a lot more ominous than it necessarily well, is. Is it, is it for like immigrants or something, or is it for like extraterrestrials? <laughs> more the former than the latter. Okay. If you were from England and you were not an American citizen and you died and you needed your estate um, executed, yep. these were the guys who who handled that. The foreign affairs. Uh, yeah, so similar to that. Well, the thing is, Tesla was a U.S. citizen. He became a U.S. citizen when he was fifty-one. Yep. He was already. Like he was not an alien. Mm-hmm. He was not. He he was a U.S. citizen. There was no reason for this office to seize his assets. And there's a lot of good evidence that the FBI was involved. Oh. The theory is basically that they wanted to make sure that there was no technology in there that would be dangerous to, well, the enemies of the United States. Ah. Uh, they would say to anyone, but you know how that goes. Yeah. And there are some conspiracy theorists out there that would tell you that they seized things from Tesla's residence and from his lab that they didn't tell anyone about. That oh. were it, it, well, there specifically the, the the death ray or the the peace ray. People will tell you, yeah, like yeah, they definitely have their hands yeah. on Tesla's peace ray. The U.S. government's got that in a case somewhere in a laboratory. The likelihood of this is incredibly small. I mean, yeah. Tesla had been claiming for like 15 years that he had the peace ray, that he had already made the peace ray, that he had tested the peace ray. Yep. Nobody ever saw it. No. There were no patents for it. <laughs> there were no notes about it. No planes got destroyed mysteriously 200 <laughs> miles away. Exactly. And I mean, 1943, uh, in 1943, the U.S. has been in World War II for two years if, right, yep. if tesla is that much of a humanitarian if that much of a um yeah a pacifist and he believed that this was the key to pacifism why wouldn't he be selling it to the u.s war office yeah so personally i come down on the side of probably no peace no, ray it's ridiculous yeah <laughs> the box that people supposed contained the peace ray from his from his assets mm-hmm. contained like a 50 year old piece of uh electrical equipment the kind of thing that you know today you could go into home depot and buy Uh, like that that sort of mundane yep so essentially they said they found nothing Mm -hmm. they probably found nothing but who's to say it's worth a look certainly it turns into it turns into speculation at that point oh yeah i mean if if this guy claims to have invented the doomsday device and you want to go check that out maybe yeah absolutely now Tesla and popular culture. I mean, Tesla was a popular guy in his day. Like, while he was alive, he mm-hmm. was popular. He was on the cover of Time magazine. Oh, he yeah. was well-known throughout, you know, he, he, you know, he, he was going out with Mark Twain and hanging out. Yeah, he was in. meeting all of these very important people. He was very popular. Tesla was a pretty good-looking guy. Yeah. The ladies really liked him. I he just did this. not like the ladies. Yeah. So, it's, it's not... 
you know, today there's this mythology of this guy sort of like misunderstood and like no one paid any attention to him. That's not true at all. He was just really bad at keeping yeah. up business agreements. And after a time when you get a reputation for being really bad to work with, no one wants to work with you. Yeah, I don't want to disparage internet nerds because I'm an internet nerd, but there's a lot of easy ways to just see yourself in someone like that and say that they're misunderstood. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, I think this is really telling of the way that we're seeing tesla these days right mm-hmm. he's he's this he's this misunderstood <laughs> he's this weirdo like this misunderstood weirdo mm-hmm. who has trouble relating socially and has great ideas that are never really executed but are still great ideas mm-hmm. and people recognize him for his ideas at least as much if not more uh than uh for what he actually did practically right yeah the things that he did that actually came to fruition mm-hmm. They changed the world. Right. The things that he couldn't pull off because he was bad, like he was bad to work with. Yeah. I mean, yes, some of them are coming out now. Other ones, it's hard to say whether they, whether or not they existed at all and what impact they would have had on the war, or on the world. So, I mean, yes, in teleautomation, he was talking about remote controlled planes. We're looking at drones today, right? Mm-hmm. He was talking about you know robots. You see all sorts of robots, especially in industrial capacities. So many robots. He was talking about wireless transmission of energy. That's actually really inefficient. Yeah. Wireless transmission I've of energy. Heard that, yeah. He wanted to basically charge the entire ionosphere <laughs> so that we could always pull electricity no matter where we Still were. Basically. And that's really hard to do. It's possible. Mm-hmm. If you run the math, it's possible technically. Yeah, but I don't think you'd get a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you see things like wireless charging mats for phones yeah. and stuff like that. You see people talking, just barely talking about stuff like beaming energy from space-based solar panels uh, via microwaves. These are cool ideas. Very cool. They're very, very cool ideas that didn't actually happen. And they came from a guy who also had ideas about things moving through the ether. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to look back at someone. (laughs) And shattering the earth, exactly. It's really easy to look back at someone, especially someone who's produced a large body of work, and point to all the things that they got right, mm-hmm. and sort Sweep of conveniently the they got wrong under the rug. <laughs> exactly, and with Tesla, more and more over the past twenty years, there have been more and more people that relate to Tesla. I'm not trying to comment on that for good or for bad, but it's it's interesting that for, you know between basically when he died and let's say 20 years ago mm-hmm. he was looked at as kind of an eccentric loser yeah. who couldn't even keep his his business affairs in order enough to get uh, a tower that was funded for 17 years up and running yeah or find a place to live when he gets kicked out of there like he got put up by Westinghouse mm-hmm. so that whole American dream thing that we talked about with Edison mm-hmm. looks at Tesla and sees a failure. Yeah. That is a man who had so many chances to pull himself up by his bootstrap. Yeah, and basically ignored them. It's not that he failed, it's that he chose not to do it. Or was given or was given enormous uh, sums of money and squandered it. Yeah. On on what could be seen as pet projects. Yeah, pipe dreams, completely ridiculous stuff. And you know, now we look at Tesla and we see 
someone who's self-reliant, someone who has great ideas, someone who was looking forward into the future and trying to shape the world into what he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that absolutely resonates with people in, in today's culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's completely reasonable that it would. But that sort of shift away from sort of swashbuckling industrialism <laughs> to uh, a, more, a more democratized, uh, individualistic maker culture mm-hmm. It it show it really shows in the narrative um, or lack thereof of a rivalry between Tesla and Edison because they weren't enemies they didn't agree yeah uh, when when Edison died Tesla actually had some choice words yes but I mean it wasn't about Edison the man mm-hmm. it was about Edison's work Tesla basically said the guy wastes time oh he says. He doesn't do his calculations. If he just did his calculations, he wouldn't have to build nearly as many prototypes, prototypes as he does. He said he basically call. I, I mean, he's calling it like sort of a brute force approach to invention. Wow! And he he didn't think that was so great, and it was. Yeah. He wasn't wrong. Oh, it's a scientific method, right? It's trial and error. Exactly. It's experimentation. And Tesla was very much not scientific method. He yeah. was not trial and error. He conceived of something mentally. And he made it that way. Mm-hmm. And yes, those things were good, but he didn't try a second way, ever. Yeah. Looking at the two men, I mean, I think is a really interesting way of looking at ourselves in the way that we see industry, in the way that we see technology, and in the way we see creativity in today's culture. Oh, yeah. A lot of them likes to think that they're the David versus the Goliath. <laughs> exactly. And they saw... And, and everyone... I mean, everyone you talk to today would rather be Tesla than Edison. Yeah. Even though the man died penniless talking to pigeons. Yeah. And not having invented something in quite a long time, they see that as more romantic than this yeah. sort of rise from poverty to wealth that yeah. Edison had. The cranky industrialist. Yeah. So that's the, the lack of rivalry between <laughs> Tesla and Edison. Well, I thought there was one. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay though I mean I think yeah. it's good to look at things like this and sort of separate fact from fiction uh, yeah but also see what the fiction that we generate around it means to us yeah no it was fun <laughs> alright well thanks for coming on oh thank you for having me next time on HI101 we'll be taking a look at the unification of Germany in 1871. Watch for that episode on August 1st. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI 101.